the tr- the truth is I don't spend much time being like I was right. I spend much time being right every day. <laughs> like every, every every day I wake up and I'm going and I'm and I'm confident that I've built a structure and an ideal that will make me right today. Today's episode of The Best Money I Ever Spent is with my guy, Darren Ravel. I think about him as my maniac friend who kind of knows everything about sports and gambling and media. But if you ask him, he's probably just a student and a historian of pop culture who's constantly researching and sharing what he finds with the world, either through his social feeds with millions of followers, his role at Action Network, where he covers the business of sports and gambling, or on TV and on panels all over the country. He started his career at ESPN on air, then joined CNBC, where he was the go-to for sports business news. He's also a collector of everything. And when we started gaining momentum with Rally, he was one of the first people that we brought on as an advisor to the company, which really helped expand our horizons on the assets that we acquired for the platform. With that said, we talked a lot about collecting on this episode, along with venture investing, crypto, some really good Kobe stories too. And as always, as a disclaimer, nothing on this episode should be considered financial advice, and you should always consult an independent professional before making any financial decisions or investment decisions. But with that said, here's episode six of The Best Money I Ever Spent, presented by Rally, with the man who would rather research than sleep, Darren Ravel. Darren, what's up, my brother? What's going on? What's going on? It's good to be here. Ah, man, I'm uh. So for context too, I've known Darren for a minute now, but the uh, we've never had like we have a lot of phone calls about like collectibles and what's going on in life and just general you know check in type stuff, but I've never had a chance to really uh, to dig in on the on the past, present, and future of Darren Ravel. So this is a big day for me too, man. <laughs> well, there's a lot. Uh, hopefully, I could uh, speak quickly. all right so i'll jump into it just for to give a little bit of background i think that there's like this whole generation it's kids my age like my friends we know you as uh like from espn as like an on-air personality we know a little bit of uh cnbc sports business there's a whole generation now that knows you as this collector who's you know on social media and and across a bunch of different platforms talking about really really specific stories behind assets there's the gambling version of Ravel, who now is a journalist that covers this whole space. How do you how do you describe yourself to somebody who says who is Darren Ravel? Uh, I am someone who is my own. Um, I'm not following anyone. I enjoy not following people. Uh, I have my own slant on things, um, and I ride with it uh, in every walk of my life. So you know, if people say gambling's not the next big thing that's not going to affect me you know there's many points in my life where i think i've been challenged to conform and i've time and time again gone against the grain and sometimes it's hard um you know in the collectibles world you have cards which you know every day you have a comp there's a comp to a card that was sold and what that means is that you are confident in the number um, when you buy something I am confident and comfortable when there is no comp. Um, I have, that's where the fun comes in. I have uh, incredible conviction for my thoughts and I go with them. 
that's a great that's a great way to put it when there's no comps because you I think this is a little bit with the the move from ESPN to 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 your current career I would say and the current where your domain expertise lies right now a lot of it goes into gambling I think you were somebody who saw that really really early and when you were sort of part of that ESPN family gambling was something that was not talked about on TV like during an event you would never talk about the spread if like Al Michaels on, on Monday Night Football <laughs> slipped up and said something at the end of a game about the over, it would be like in a bunch of group chats, like, oh my God, he just did that. What made you so confident of where we are right now, which you definitely predicted super early in terms of gambling, being part of pop culture and being a part of the zeitgeist? What was the first indication that you saw it was going in that direction? So I, one of the books that I love is Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. And really talks about being in the right place at the right time, whether you're born in a certain year. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates are born in 1955. What does that mean? The first year that the computer is in the library, that is Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And ultimately, they didn't graduate college, of course, but they were able to play around in the library with a not publicly accessible computer. Uh, I kind of follow the same... Uh, pattern born in 1978. I'm a internet, the first generation internet child, and I would argue a first generation data adult. Hmm. Um, so, so as data got more popular, I think I was forced to play with it a little bit more and used it to my advantage. Um, where I was is in New Jersey, and New Jersey is arguing with the Supreme Court. They're the state that's arguing to flip the professional and amateur sports protection act of, of 1992 and so new jersey sees all this first and i think about as a businessman how many times do you have the chance to see something that you believe will be at full maturity and you are sitting in maturity very rarely very rarely this is all going to roll out and i'm sitting in this someone's someone's placed me in new jersey where I'm four years ahead of everyone else. How stupid would I be not to take advantage of that? <laughs> that's a great way. That's a great way to put it, man. But that you just touched on something too, though. You're talking about you're you're a human encyclopedia. You're talking about specific dates and the way you track pop culture. So much of like uh, what we get hit with every single day is this never-ending noise. And you're this this huge Twitter personality and somebody who's always in the conversation. You'll text me at like midnight with some really completely offbeat stat that I had no idea existed. And now I have to start digging deep on Reddit and all over Google. Yeah. How, do you, how do you prevent that noise from taking over your life? Because you have a real life too. You have a family and you got a million different businesses. You got a lot going on. I tell, I tell Will, our producer from Rally, all the time, like you're the best and the worst of Ravel. Because what's going to happen is you and all this information you're getting hit with all day. Ravel has really good filters. I'm not so sure you do yet because it's everything or nothing at this point. How do you prevent it from becoming this all-encompassing life force when it's all this data, all this information nonstop that you have to sort of synthesize? This is going to sound crazy, but like once I buy something, I end the the craziness, right? So like <laughs> I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm looking, and then I buy something and that prevents me from continuing to look and search. But the truth is, I accepted a long time ago. My brain is insane. It That's works true. at a very fast pace. And I have to take the best and the worst of that. It makes, you know, vacations are my least favorite thing in life. Um, mm -hmm. And if I'm on a vacation, I have to still be doing a lot of things. I'm not laying out at the beach. Um, 
But uh, the positive is just trying to just think about all these things at one time and lists. I have a lot of pads with papers and and written down and anniversaries and try not to miss miss things. Um, and uh, always, you know, gambling. If I'm not, I'm the most gambling I'm doing really, I guess, is is through memorabilia. Um, uh, but it also pre- presents something that's safe to me um, against the background of crypto or not uh, getting any money when you put it in the bank. Um, I'm I'm confident in memorabilia. One, it is so much fun. Two, the ability to tell people stories that they've never heard of. And then three, to say, well, you actually own it. That That's why I've had some problem selling. I don't sell at the exact top because I love owning the stories so much, but I also accept that the stories are part of my brand. So I'm actually amortizing the cost of what I spend by spouting the story. That's a great way to put it. That's a good segue too, because you're you're a really well-known collector in a lot of different spaces. And I think the first that I heard of a lot of different spaces, when I really started taking it seriously, whether it was tickets or VHS or, or political memorabilia in particular, it came from conversation with you and really passionate conversation around the story because you go so deep on so much of this stuff. How do you blur the line between, or do you even, between gambling, which is a huge part of what you cover and a huge part of your career, and then collecting, where a lot of what happens now, especially with the younger generation, is based around you know outcomes, financial outcomes. Is that something that you separate now? Do you look at gambling and collecting, whether it's memorabilia or it's cards, or it's political history, are those one and the same to you right now? Do you still keep separate places for those in your life? I mean, I think as long as it's a holistic point of view, right? I told you in the beginning, like my point in life is to be different and to go with being different. My philosophy in gambling is to make sure I'm making the right decisions and I'm looking at everything, you know? So (laughs) the Patriots play the Bucks in week four of the NFL season and bookies make the Bucks five and a half point favorites. And people are like, this is the freest money ever. What are you talking about? The, the free the money myth. Brady, That's the worst one. Brady the free and, money myth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brady and Antonio Brown. And they got everyone. That, who, are the, who are the Patriots have? Uh, you know, like uh, just no one. Uh, and Mac Jones. And, you know, and so the reason why people think it's free money is because they only look at the offense. The, the Bucks defense is horrible. And, and so, you know, the, the Bucks win by two and the sports books, you know, crush it. And so for me, uh, they're one and the same gambling memorabilia, sports gambling memorabilia. The only thing I, pro- and, and when I, when I'm doing my VC stuff and I'm investing, the only thing I promise is I will always be the same person. And that is make sure you are looking at it holistically. If there's something that I think people could learn. It's that they think that a market is transparent and it's actually not, or they're not paying attention to what is driving the market or what will create the market to fall. Luka Doncic silver prisms. If I had a 43-year-old who's going to invest in those, I must know that it slants to 18 to 24-year-old investors. Now, why do I have to know that? Well, it's not just straight up fantasy, however Luca does. I have to know that because these people have, on the whole, a lower net worth. So that means that it will drop like a rock faster 
if there's faith that it's not a good investment. I think a lot of collectors simplify the complex factors that go into things. That's, I mean, that's, you're speaking to, and this is also like a Malcolm Gladwell thing a little bit when it comes to like thin slicing uh, decisions that you're making. We're hit with so much of that information and it moves so quick now. You've made a really good point. This goes to cards, it goes to everything, especially this new generation who are, who are more flippers, I think, than they are collectors or the story is maybe a little less important, even though it's there. You've made this good point that I make to a lot of people when I talk about collecting or investments in general. You said it a while ago. If you wouldn't buy at the current price, then that means you're a seller. It's kind of like the way that you've always sort of talked about it with me and we've had that conversation. Do you think that the that the illiquid nature of so many of these cards and so many of these things where there are platforms and Rally obviously is one of them that tries to add that liquidity and I think we do a good job of doing it, but it's not like crypto. It's not something that moves 24 hours a day. So moving on to the next thing doesn't mean there's a net zero. Do you think that's like a, is that a feature or is that something that's just kind of inherent to the space? Does that matter as part of like the way that you think about a portfolio construction? I mean, I just worry about, you know, it, so so people say to me, well, how do you, you, you collect so many ones of ones, like, how do you have comfort in that? And I say, well, it's not necessarily liquid, right? Like, uh, I can help, unlike others, I can make it liquid by telling the story. I can make it more liquid and make more people want it by hitting it on an anniversary. Okay. But I don't want to be in the commodity world where I look at the national and sometimes I'd like a throw up for some people because hmm. I'm like, this guy has it at 450. This guy has it at 400. Like, where's the fun in that? Where's yeah. the, you know, and, and so you could tell me there's liquidity, but it's liquidity at a commodity. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Makes sense to talk, to talk a little bit about, about, your sort of point of view as being an outlier and you want to be different and you are, you're, you're the most different person I know. I'll say that out of everybody Thank I know you. that's Thank in this you. network. And I say, what is, dude, is that Ravel? Like he's not like anyone you've ever met before <laughs> when, <laughs> in, a, in the best possible way. We're recording this on, on May 13th. So it's Friday the 13th right now. It's at the mm -hmm. tail end of a week that saw huge losses across public and private markets and particularly in the crypto space. And you've been somebody that's been been questioning crypto and questioning the use case of it and questioning the value proposition for a long time. At the end of a week like this, what are your thoughts on that market overall and the health of that market and the people that are involved in it? I'm sad. Um, and I, 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 I hope it goes back up again. I hope it does. I, I'm worried about the mental health aspect, especially for young kids. Um, you know, there was an Onion story that said... Uh, you know, crypto person wants another thousand people to tell them not to do it. Um, just for me personally, uh, I was in it full bore for 41 days. I looked into it. Um, I understood ETH as a use case. Um, I understand blockchain makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Bitcoin does not. The only case for it is it's a legacy brand and they were first. When I look at maximalists talk about this stuff, I, I feel like they're backing into their analysis, like they write the conclusion and then they start the story. Um, they, they, they are obfuscating like with like all these different pieces of data that talk everything about what it is not. Uh, so to me, it was just never for me. Uh, also, along the lines of who I am. And I ask everyone, you know, find out who you are might take till you're 40, but when you find out, be you 
And for me, uh, I'm not, I, it was too much of a following culture for me. Um, it was too much based on momentum and it too much went against the tenets of actual gambling. You don't buy the dip in gambling. The best gamblers cut their losses and say, I lost this game. I'm moving on. They don't take the live bet of the bet that they had originally at, at, at better odds, because even though there's a worse chance of it happening, uh, I, I just, so it, it, it was against every fiber of my being. And, you know, there's just another, there's a lot of other ways to make money. And I just think it was just so driven by greed. Hmm. Do you think that those, there's, there's this culture of, of young investors who look at it where it's part of its entertainment too. It's the idea that I just lost a ton of money. I could put that on Reddit. I could text my friends about it. I could show them my account value. Is that something that's here for good, do you think? Or is there a way, do you think that going back to fundamentals and thinking about it more holistically to your point, is there is a place for that in the future? Or do you think it's too far gone? Everything's commoditized at this point. It's all going to be flip culture. I think the youth of America are used to being on tilt. And I think that will that will yeah. be the case forever. They are going to gamble. They're going to make uh, crazy decisions uh, more than any other generation. It just is what it is. And so the key for them is just going to be, you know, as as much as they can make sense with their gambles. Uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm happy to be at the Action Network. If you want to bet with your gut, fine. But, you know, if you want to at least have some data points for your gambling, you know, at least we're there. That makes sense. So now to the, the exact opposite of gambling, investments, I would say real investments. Your, your venture portfolio is, it's admirable. And we've talked a bit over the course of the last few years about some of the stuff you're working on and some of the things that you got in on early. There are a couple of, of really unique ones, some very recent ones like Papa Bagels is a good example. But the story behind Body Armor and, and your story in the way you met Mike, who is the founder, the way you linked up Kobe and, and that team and kind of sort of were part of that journey the whole way. Tell me a little bit about how what you saw in Body Armor early, which was a success story, no question, and kind of where that led you to in terms of relationship with Kobe and relationship with Mike. Well, Kobe in like 2009, after I interviewed him for maybe the third or fourth time, he's like, hey, you come and interview me like once a year and I'm kind of getting on the second part of my career and I know you know a lot about business and you have business contacts. You know, can you start hooking me up with people and doing some ideas of what I should invest in? And we would, he would, I would send him like Harvard case studies. He loved it. I mean, it was very clear that he was going to take his competitiveness on the court and, and match it off the court, which he did in his short, short time off the court, which is just a tragedy. Um, and uh, so in like 2016, um, I, I noticed a real opportunity. I said, hey, you know, Crave Beef Jerky um, is, is close to selling. They need $8 million. Um, they want it from one person. It's an eighty million dollar valuation. They do twenty nine million in revenue, and I want. I, I think you should do it. Went out, flew with him. It was him and his financial advisor and the Crave team. Uh, the financial advisor at the end of the day said no. Thought it was a little bit rich. And then Crave sold for two hundred ninety one million six months later. And I'm like, hmm. Kobe, you could have made the same amount of money that you're making for the season. And he's like, Ah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll blindly invest on the next one. And, uh, and so 
you know, Mike Rapoli, someone who I've known for a long time, knew him at Vitamin Water when he sold that brand of, for, for, for Glosso to, for $4 billion to Coke. Um, saw what he did with Pirate's Booty, which is essentially not even changed the formula and just had sales team and 10x the revenue. Um, and saw Body Armor. And, you know, I'd written a book on the history of Gatorade. And I, I, I thought it was bold, but I thought that he was the guy that could have done it. And the drink was actually not that good at the time, but I've quickly learned that, you know, you, you, you got to go with the people, uh, as much as the products. And I thought Mike was amazing. Introduced him to Kobe. Kobe goes, all right, we're going to do it. He put $6 million in and, uh, you know, not around, but I think Vanessa got a check for something like 444 million. So, um, Crazy. crazy. So that, that, you know, that's one of the things that at least makes me feel good. And then after doing that, I said, you know, I, I, I need to start my own mini VC. And uh, just like I said, you know, you, you got to know what you're good at. And food and beverage for me was always something that, you know, I was the guy who was stuck in the supermarkets, <laughs> trying every single everything. Uh, and, and just, just love <laughs> your, your Costco's worst. Oh nightmare my God. I, I loved it. Yeah. Before COVID I loved, I loved just innovate. My, my wife would be like, what a get out of here. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, like uh, if I needed time alone, I'd spend two hours in supermarket, love new products, love the whole thing. And, uh, felt that if I could stick to food and beverage, I could win. Um, and you know, over the course of the last five years, we've, We've won. We we invested in Vienna roasted chickpeas just with the idea that, you know, people don't uh, want to just eat pretzels and and chips that are just empty. Um, we invested in athletic brewing when no one gave non-alcoholic beer a chance. We invested in Foxtrot, a high-end convenience store. And uh, I haven't told this story publicly, but um, we got a call from the head of Harvard's Investments. Um, wanting to know who the hell we were, this tastemaker capital, because uh, I guess he had looked at Foxtrot and Athletic Brewing recently, and they look at the cap tables to see who's doing what. And he's like, you're in both these companies. I go, yeah, that's two of our three companies. And uh, it, to me, <laughs> to me, it was just like, it was, it, it was, it was really nice. It was a night, we didn't do anything with it, but it was, it was, it was just a pretty damn good recognition that like we knew what we were doing. I mean, you need, you need those pats on the back sometimes too. You know what I mean? And that's something that it, it is, a, it's a good conversation starter to, to have two or three hits under your belt. But at the same time, you said it, it's the same thing with your memorabilia, with your investments, with your bets, you're, you're investing and finding your way into the things that you love where you have domain expertise and you're doing the research and that always bubbles to the top. There is like, there's a little bit of a revenge of the nerds thing going on right now. Like we're around the same, we're in this same general generation, but when we were in high school. It's like, you know, if you were the smart kid, you got bullied. If you were into the arts or whatever, you were kind of on the outside. If you played sports, you were the cool kid. That whole, that whole dynamic has flipped now. And I think that you're really good at dealing with it on Twitter because you have a massive following that sometimes it is polarizing the stuff that you're saying becomes a little bit of a fight on Twitter. Do you ever look at that now and look back and say, like, I was right the whole time? Like, you were the smart kid in school. You were a journalist. You started writing early. And now you're using that to get this unfair advantage in all these spaces. But you still got to deal with the trolls on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, how do you rationalize that? The, the, tr- the truth is I don't spend much time being like I was right. I spend much time being right every day. 
<laughs> like, every, every every day I wake up and I'm gonna and I'm and I'm confident that I've built a structure and an ideal that will make me right today. And so that's great, right? So like, I don't have time to tell you I'm right. I want to be right today again. I want to make more money today again. I'm not gonna you know wave at my past. So for me, you know, I, I, there's there's not a. I do think overall. You know, just to give hope people in, in high school, you know, you know, nerds do win uh, uh, at some point. You know, there's there's a flip. Um, so so keep being a nerd and keep, uh, you know, getting just just finding your own and be, being your own person and not letting people. I mean, I just think about all the tests I've had. Um, you know, my my first test, I feel one of my first tests was uh, going to college and I lived in a town in Long Island that was very, you know, my neighbor uh, scraped off the back of her uh, Mercedes model and put the the number of a bigger model, even though it wasn't a bigger car. I mean, think about that. <laughs> so I lived in a place where there was there was a lot of perception. And, you know, when I went to Northwestern, people were like, well, why isn't he going to like the Ivy League schools he got into? Well, because Northwestern's the right school for me. Like, you know, and, and it was, and it was, sure. but I think a lot of people, you know, they succumb to the pressure of what they're supposed to do. And, and, you know, you just don't do that. Well, you hit on it too. It's, it's for like a kid in high school today, a lot of times you don't realize in the moment, it's a really long game. As you get a little bit older, you realize that finding your place, finding your tribe, finding your niche, doing the things that you're happy about, the things that bring you happiness is the most important. Outcomes are a way longer game than you feel like they are when you're like 13 or 14 years old. You just don't get acclimated with like social. Right. It's real. It's really. It's really about enjoying the process. I mean, I know it's it's cliche, and and the 76ers have bastardized the, the word process. But <laughs> but but it, George, but George really, and the team at Rally going to be pissed to hear that. But you're right. It, yeah. It 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 really uh, it really is about the process, and uh, you know. So like, you know, every day I'm just so excited to, what am I going to do today? What am I going to, I, I had a, a comment. I, I just bought, um, an Aaron Burr, uh, which I was looking for, a promissory note. And, um, I got a note from, uh, Bobby Livingston at RR, um, like right after I won it saying, thanks for stealing again from us, you thief. <laughs> There, there is no one better at finding arbitrage opportunities in auctions oh, than Darren Ravel. I'll be the first to say that. Yeah, you know, and that, that's that's so great. There's always something wrong somewhere, you know, and uh, and and I like doing it. And I think people should realize, you know, there's no such thing as an absolute item. The item becomes the price, not because the item. It because everything surrounding it was it the right description? Was it all the way down when it should have been the item number one? Is it in the wrong auction house? Was it on the wrong day? Was it at one o'clock? You know, there's a million things that people go, yeah, it went for that, and I'm like, it's not that simple. Yeah, there's so many different dynamics to it. You're right. Sometimes I get those texts from you. It's already after the fact because you don't want me to know either. So they're, they're, <laughs> what's going on inside Darren's crazy brain is certainly it's going to be discussed for generations after this, the way he's approached auction sales. No question. But that said, too, you have, you know, the price that gets realized and the price you would sell for all that stuff is part of like the big outcome and the big hit. And everyone pays attention to those big auction numbers or when you sell, it's like or when a company that you invest in exits, that becomes like the benchmark. But selling, I think, in memorabilia and in, in, in basketball and baseball and football cards and, and sort of, you know, political memorabilia, 
sometimes that's kind of vilified, but selling when you're up is something that I think a lot of people don't, they talk about in, in very negative terms. You, yeah, and, and you listen, that that, that's, listen, let me hit that, Rob, because, you know, it's almost like he's like, Ravel is pumping. It's like, I have 750 tickets and I've sold 20. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> I love it. You know, you have to extract it out of my hand, my cold hands to, to get me to sell something. Um, and so I hate the word pumping if you're an influencer. Um, and they're like, well, you're, maybe you're not dumping, but the word pumping is like, no, I'm talking about it and I genuinely love it. And guess what? I don't need to make a killing on this, mm -hmm. but, but I'm going to be, I'm a good investor. I'm going to, am I not allowed to talk about it? I'm telling you, as long as I'm telling you, I own this, I don't have any problem. And I don't think anyone should. Yeah. There's, there's a, I think there is a little bit of a narrative that, that, like influence sets the price, but in reality, the market sets the price. If somebody wants something for reasons that are pure commodity, that's fine. Just the way that if somebody wants something to tuck into a collection and have it be generational and pass it down, that's fine too, to each their own. But if you're treating it like a business in particular, a business gets marketed in such a way that the stories get told. I think that gets lost. You're really good at telling stories. A lot of, a lot of influencers are really good at telling stories. Mm -hmm it's going to get confused for like trying to pump up the market that they're exposed to. And that's just not always the case. I think that gets confused, especially in, in new markets where finance is sort of taking a lead like it has with collectibles. I, 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 you know, I don't think the ticket market is where it is today because I pumped it up. It's where it is today because I shown a light on it. Okay. And people then said, Oh, this is cool. Like, Holy, there, there's all these complexities to a ticket. It's a moment, not like a card. There's certain degrees of rarity based on what happened. Jordan hit the shot over Elo and there's 99% Cavs fans. Who the hell's going to keep that ticket? Bartman, there's 99% Cubs fans. Who the hell's going to keep that curse of a ticket in their house? Nuances to tickets, you know, like the Doug Flutie Hail Mary. Every <laughs> single, there's only five, I have two of them. So in the Doug Flutie Hail Mary ticket, the poor executive assistant in Miami's uh, uh, department, because there was no other way to tell people, or really, I guess they just wanted it on the ticket. Right after they printed the ticket, they changed the date from Saturday, November 24th to Friday, November 23rd. And they took 50,000 tickets, took it to the typewriter, crossed the X's out of the date and then added in, I can, can you imagine these tickets going into a typewriter? Crazy. I mean, it's also, you just described the quintessential Ravel ticket investment too, <laughs> where the story within the story, within the story is like this inception moment that only you would be crazy enough to go down the entire rabbit hole to figure it out. But that's what makes it interesting and what makes it fun too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it just, it get it gets very fun. You know, it gets fun with like finding every single rock highlight from his college career. You know, you got to get what you've done, what you've done and documented very well. I will yeah, say you, that. You got, you, you, you got, you got to get the, the Pittsburgh game with his career high tackles. You got to get his, <laughs> you know, you got to get his debuts. You got to get the ticket, the ticket where he sacked Charlie Ward. You know, I mean, it's 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 just I have a lot of fun every day. I'm I'm I, I'm glad that I bought into it and I invest in it. And I've had a lot of fun doing my stuff with Rally. Um, it's been it's been really cool to 
uh, deal with Brian and Brian Herbert, who does an amazing job. Um, and just looking at, you know, just matching the data with me, matching the comps with me. I mean, it's, I'm probably the worst person because like, okay, we're going to get a comp here. <laughs> the comp is $430 <laughs> from, from 2012. There has not been another sale. I mean, it's like, you know, it, and, and, and that's, that's hilarious too. Um, but it, it's, you guys are doing a great job and I, it's, it's one of my favorite things that I do to kind of just rap about what's next. Nah, I appreciate it. Me too. And it's one of those things that everybody here is like, when it's, when it's time to call Darren Ravel, we all have to put like, you know, 45 minutes to the side to make sure we get the full story too. You know what I mean? But that said, you are somebody who's been, you've been really, I'll say this, you've been ahead and this is independent of, of just the sales and like money made and where the markets went, but you've been very ahead of sort of the cultural trends and collecting for a while. So to talk general state of the union, there's a lot of volatility in the market right now for all collectibles. And you touched on, on, on tickets from specific events and specific moments, which became a real sort of a big point of point of contention, but also a big collecting piece for auctions and for everybody over the last year and a half or so. But where do you see, you know, the next generation looking and their attention spans a little different than ours. They see things a little bit differently in terms of the way they think about finance versus story. What do you think is around that turn right now, having seen two or three or four of these cycles at this point? People always ask me about like the youth and my concern about the youth. Um, and this is maybe not where you wanted the question to go, but, um, you know, are is the young people going to care about tickets? And for me, it's like, well, I know everyone above 30 will. And, and, and 30 to 80 is a pretty big, big range. Um, you know, I think people will be driven more by influencers on things. Um, they'll be driven more by celebrities. This is what you should collect. Um, there's going to the next generation is going to have a hard time deciphering between what they should collect because it is pumped. Just like crypto and just like hey, Mr. Beast is now into collectibles and he's going to do this and it's going to rise. And I would just say that even if I, even though I love collectibles and memorabilia as an alt asset, I would be very, very careful to make money the chief motivation. This is what I would say. Um, you know, when the Michael Jordan card, the the PSA 10, those went for 738000 in January 2021. Um, you know, I, I felt like that was kind of high. And I, and I called that it was going to be closer to 250000 than a million. And but then it hit 250000 and it stopped. Why did it stop? It stopped because the people who have those cards say enough. I like it enough. And the problem with something that is is thin and doesn't really have any quintessential value is that there's nothing from stopping it to go to the floor to zero. If you have pieces that even the masses have and there's a collective sense that it's going to go down, make sure those pieces actually are enjoyed and have worth. That's a great way to put it. So typically we close with a couple of quick questions around investing, around collecting. I got a couple for you that are very topical. The first one, your best performing tweet ever. <laughs> uh, actually might've been Colin Kaepernick on Labor Day when Nike signed him. I think uh, 125,000 likes seen by 29 million people. 
I thought I thought it was gonna be a, a Dave Portnoy fight, so I'm glad it wasn't. I, I was gonna go on a whole different tangent. All right, perfect. <laughs> the, no, the next no, one. No, something... that was that was a wife fight. It's Labor Day. There's 30 people at the house. You're cooking a barbecue. Why are you on the phone? I'm like Colin Kaepernick just signed with Nike. She's like, I don't care. I'm like, I do. <laughs> That's great. Let me ask you this: something you would never sell. I would sell everything. Uh, at the right price, mm-hmm. I would sell everything. Can't can't ever say you won't ever sell something. You can you can say you can you can say it dishonestly to the person who's going to give you a boatload of money. But I I you know there's just not as an, a no as a negotiation tactic only. I like that. When's the last time you took a loss on a collectible? Um, I can't remember. Uh, Maybe, 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 uh, does not take uh, losses for anyone listening. I would say an even, I got out even on the, on a Tiger Woods SI card. <laughs> I can give you that. All right. The last one Then I got to do it. Cause it's the title of the show, the best money you ever spent, a collectible. The best investment. money Otherwise, I ever spent, your call. um, on a collectible. I think it's going to turn out to be this this largest Warren Buffett signature in the world um, on a bed of 18 $1 bills. I think that's going to sell for millions one day. Uh, Not investment advice, but having seen it, I would, I would agree that that is a very unique collectible with a lot of potential upside. I bought that for 7,300. So that was one. And then two, uh, you know, my engagement ring to my wife uh, was uh, actually all my bar mitzvah money. Um, that I, that, 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 that uh, my parents and I had invested, uh, turned like 14 grand into 35 grand or something like that. So I did not spend a dime for the, for the, for my engagement ring. Cause it was all my bar mitzvah money. That's a great, uh, that's a great full circle story and a great way to end it. Darren, I got to say this first, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate the conversation with you always, but we did the preview for this show I kind of did a quick little like uh, update on why we were doing it and what it was going to be. And I said, there were all these people in our network that I've met through rally or through personal experience we got, that I got really close with over COVID. You're definitely one of those people. I sincerely appreciate our friendship, but also you made me a better person and a better investor, a better collector. It's been really, really good to have you on my phone and to be able to text you with these questions, and these conversations over the last two or three years. Dude, I really appreciate it. I genuinely love you, Rob. You're a great guy, a great businessman. And apparently now a great journalist. You uh, you <laughs> ask really good questions, and I'm proud of you. Dude, thank you, man. I'm just trying to follow you. Darren Ravel, the best money I ever spent. Thank you so much, my friend. You got it. Episode 6, done. If you don't follow Darren on Twitter and you care at all about collectibles or sports or gambling, you basically have to. So Darren Ravel on Twitter, the way his brain works is like nothing I've ever seen. And he's more generous with information than basically anyone in the collector space. So he's definitely worth a follow. We'll be taking a short break next week as we'll be recording live from VCon in Minnesota. But we're probably going to drop some surprises in that's both in the podcast and in the rally app. Some really interesting things lined up that I don't want to give too much away on. But if you're in Minneapolis next week, come find us in U.S. Bank Stadium. You'll see huge rally logos all over. And as a final reminder, do not listen to me or anyone for investment advice. Always do your own research. 
And be sure to read the disclaimers on rallyrd.com before making any investment on Rally. All investments involve risk. This is no different. And past performance is never an indication of future performance. I'm Rob Petrozo. I'll be back soon with some interviews and updates from VCon. You can find us on rallyroadrallyrd.com, at rally on Instagram, and at onrallyrd on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything in between. Until next week.